And we're back this Wednesday afternoon with some really big, and I mean really big news, out of British Columbia today. That province has decided to push the beginning of the school year to an as-yet undecided date. That has got the attention of both educators and parents right across this country. Dr. Charles Pascal is with the University of Toronto. He, of course, is the former Deputy Education Minister, and he joins us now on Global News Radio. Dr. Pascal, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. All right, let's talk about this decision from uh, B.C. Why exactly have they decided to push the beginning of the school year ahead to an uh, undecided date? Because they're smart. Uh, and this is not a new idea. There are many of us who have been advocating for this in various provinces, uh, in particular Ontario. Uh, you know, um, what's going on regarding uh, the speed with which uh, things are being foisted on uh, school boards and uh, students and parents and teachers having to make decisions without uh, the kind of time required to deal with the complexities. Uh, Many people have been advocating uh, in Ontario and elsewhere, uh, slow it down, uh, slow it down to catch up. So uh, right now, uh, you know, the day after Labor Day is uh, minutes away in terms of the complexity of dealing with this. And I've been advocating uh, in Ontario and uh, anyone else who will listen uh, that uh, schools should open uh, for in-class when they are ready. So that means, uh, you know, Jeff, that an individual school board uh, could basically um, uh, begin with some schools that have the capacity to deal properly uh, with the students in their particular area and slow things down. More recently, because of the top-down stress that the Minister of Education in Ontario has placed on school boards, I've suggested, look, uh, why don't you push it back to October 15th? And the reason, Jeff, is, look, you know, the the biggest concern that uh, parents have in Ontario uh, is with the elementary school kids uh, who are being asked uh, to be placed in, in uh, classrooms, uh, many of them poorly ventilated with 24 to 30 students, only one met, uh, meter of distance instead of two. And the emphasis has been on masks instead of what we know to be the best science uh, regarding health and safety, and that is uh, two meters distance, 15 kids or less, And that means hiring more teachers and getting more ventilated space. Doing those things, if the resources were properly provided, that's the kind of complexity that's going to take more than a few few weeks to implement. So, yeah, slow it down uh, so that we can catch up and get this done properly. Yeah, Charles, do you think that the approach should have been similar to the economy? And I can remember the Premier announcing, you know, stage two, stage three of the uh, reopening and telling businesses that there was no need to rush. Please don't open until you're ready, until you've, uh, you know, met the guidelines when it comes to things like PPE and that you truly are ready to open your doors. Should that sort of, I guess, latitude been given to school boards right across the uh, province that, uh, hey, here's the, the, the target date for reopening, but please don't reopen until you're 100% ready? Well, I think that's a very good uh, you know, value to underscore, Jeff, for sure. Look, uh, I, I hate to be so tough. Look, I'm a, I'm a nonpartisan, you know, uh, washed up, uh, you know, uh, bureaucrat from back in the day. <laughs> uh, my, my, uh, the, the biggest, the two things that have been squandered uh, by this particular minister and government are twofold. One time, we knew about the possible options three months ago, not six or seven weeks ago. We knew what the possibilities were. We knew what they were finite. And secondly, they've squandered the precious commodity called collaboration, the notion of having those at the front line consulted with respect to what can you do, how can you do it, when can you do it, 
And do you have any ideas about how to do this well? They've not collaborated, uh, and they've squandered uh, months of preparation time. So, yes, you know, open when you are ready. And the premier, you know, says this keeps him, uh, you know, keeps him up at night. Uh, does he have any idea how many parents right now don't know what to do uh, under the timeline and the, uh, the confusing options uh, that are being discussed uh, in various school boards around the province? Those parents actually really are staying up uh, at night, not knowing what uh, forced choice uh, they have to make. So slow it down, get things right from the bottom up, uh, implement within a school board. There's some schools that might be ready, but don't worry about getting everything in place, in my opinion, until October 15th. And until then, let's do the best we can with improved uh, remote and distance learning, Jeff. All right. What impact do you think, Charles, will this decision from B.C.'s government have on other governments, the Ontario government, uh, you know, other provincial governments, other school boards right across the country? Do you think that there's going to be a bit of a ripple effect here now that one government, the B.C. government, has taken the stand to push back the start of the school year? I think that's a great question, and I think the answer is it takes one uh, entity uh, to catch everybody's attention. So, I I talked about the fact that there's many of us in Ontario and other provinces who've been saying the right thing, and all of a sudden, in one province, uh, somebody has sent out a signal regarding what they're going to do and why they're doing it. And I think absolutely, I think it's going to have a ripple effect. And what it does is it increases uh, the uh, probability uh, that that, uh, teachers, school board leaders, uh, parents, and other experts are going to say, why not in Ontario? I I think... uh, uh, B.C. has become a leader regarding uh, what to follow. And when the premier says, you know, we're number one in the country about how to do this, well, okay, that, that's fine. Uh, that's that's fine for a presser, uh, but it's not reality where it counts, uh, and that's within our uh, communities across Ontario. All right. If your advice is to slow things down like B.C. has, let's all take a breath and really work collaboratively and maybe, you know, look at October, mid-October as a bit of a target date. What is your advice then, uh, Charles, to uh, parents uh, right now? There's been a lot of talk, and we're going to delve into this a little further in our next hour, uh, parenting pods, parents getting together to educate uh, small groups of their, their children. Is that the way to go, do you think, in the interim, or is it something else? Well, look, uh, all parents, uh, with very few exceptions, uh, love their kids, and people will do what they feel is best for their kids. But, you know, uh, you know I don't, uh, you know, one possibility regarding this particular government's approach in Ontario is that maybe they have an end game to, uh, you know, try to have fewer people, uh, you know, choosing uh, the most uh, important uh, option for our collective future, and that's, you know, publicly funded education. So in the short run, Yes, there will be parents who are trying to figure out how to do things differently, but this, this, is, this is a government that basically says that they want the health and safety as number one. They're playing around with Russian roulette uh, with elementary school kids, uh, and uh, if, they, if they somehow decide they're going to put real money uh, into uh, ensuring that there's the proper distancing and health and safety for elementary school, for example— uh, it's going to cost more money, and the reason for doing it will be polling and focus groups rather than health and safety. We know what they need to do. We know from the evidence the kind of money that's required to do it, and they're just kind of waiting and seeing if if things will flatten so much uh, that they can do it on the cheap, and that and basically that's a high wire risk taking, uh, Jeff, that uh, 
that I just don't think uh, the people of Ontario want to see uh, happen. Uh, but to your point, uh, parents in the meantime will do everything they can to try to have uh, supports for uh, home learning, distance learning, uh, while we wait for safe uh, school openings. All right. Dr. Pascal, always appreciate the time and the perspective. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, thanks so much, Jeff. Take care. You as well. Dr. Charles Pascal with the University of Toronto and the former Deputy Education Minister. When we come back, some of your phone calls and thoughts on this at 416-870-6400. Do you think Ontario, should we, the province, should the Ontario government follow BC's lead and should we push back or postpone the start of the school year? Two hours ago when we signed on the air, I mentioned today's episode. Today's show is brought to you much like Sesame Street by several different numbers. Five, the number of overtimes, of course, in the Stanley Cup last night between Columbus and Tampa. 95, which is the number of new COVID cases announced by the province earlier today. And also by the number 38.5 billion. That is the provincial deficit that was unveiled earlier today by Finance Minister Rod Phillips. Have a listen. Today, we are revising our revenue projections from $156.3 billion to $150.6 billion, a significant factor in our projected deficit rising to $38.5 billion. Jasmine Moulton is the Ontario Director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and she joins us now here on Global News Radio. Jasmine, good afternoon. How are you? Hi, Jeff. Good, thanks. Were you surprised? I also mentioned off the top of the show today, we ran that clip from the finance minister. I thought his voice would have went up a couple of octaves when he said $38.5 billion. If I had to announce that to, to anybody, much less the entire province, uh, my, my voice might fluctuate a little bit. <laughs> well, mine certainly would. And look, when we're talking nearly $39 billion in deficit, to me, a deficit is less of an important number than the debt, because we know that the deficit just uh, compounds every year. So when we look at Ontario's debt, by the end of this year, the province will be nearing nearly $400 billion. So to break that down, that's about 27000 per person in Ontario. That's each person's portion of the provincial debt. And I did a quick uh, number crunch before the show today, and I realized that since Doug Ford's been in office, since he came to office in uh, 2018, each person's portion of the provincial debt has increased by over $3,700. So for a family of four, you know, you might have your mortgage paid off or your, your student loans, but what they might not know is that their portion for a family of four, their portion of provincial debt is now, by the end of this fiscal year, will be at $107,000. So this matters um, because debt today means taxes tomorrow. Sure, and I think that's an eye-opener for a lot of people listening here this afternoon because Premier Ford, uh, not exactly what he was elected on or what I think voters thought they would be getting, but having said that, $38.5 billion, well, it's a big number considering the pandemic and everything that uh, the province and the world has gone through since March. Is that unexpected? Look, nobody saw the pandemic coming, but this government has had a spending problem since well before COVID-19. Um, like you mentioned, a lot of people would say that Ford's the premier today because Ontarians wanted to get Wynne out of office. She was known for reckless spending. But let me be clear, Premier Ford spent more in his first year in office than Wynne ever did. In her last year, she spent $154 billion. In Ford's first year, he brought provincial spending to a record high, of $163 billion. And now this year, we're in, uh, expecting that spending is going to go up to $187 billion. So, look, this is not 
you know, don't believe what the teachers unions tell you. This is a big spending government. He spends more than Kathleen Wynne. And while, look, it's reasonable to increase spending on health care during a pandemic, but this government's spending billions on unnecessary and wasteful things. And that's the part we're criticizing. All right. How concerning are these numbers now? I mean, when you talk about it roughly being $3,700 per person, is that something that, uh, I mean, well, it's eyebrow raising, uh, if you will. Is it something that's really uh, concerning and insurmountable that uh, we're now really at a point where uh, families, uh, futures and generations, the next generation are truly going to be affected? Absolutely. Uh, Look, like I said, debt today means taxes tomorrow. We have to pay this off at some point. Ontario already spends more on debt interest than we do on colleges and universities. So you talk about, you know, caring for the next generation. If you care about colleges and universities, you would care a lot about debt reduction. And I found it funny in the minister's release today when Rod Phillips was bragging, you know, Ontario's debt to GDP ratio is only 47%. And when you compare that to the federal uh, debt to GDP ratio, at 49, our Ontario's debt-to-GDP ratio is smaller. Well, look, that's nothing to brag about. That's like uh, standing next to a sumo wrestler and bragging that you're thinner. Justin Trudeau has a massive spending problem, and it looks like uh, Doug Ford has one as well. Okay, when you mentioned that this just means taxes in the future, Premier Ford uh, reiterated today that he's philosophically opposed to raising taxes, and I think that's uh, well-documented, whether it's him or his uh, brother in the past on Toronto City Council. But having said that, with uh, this $38.5 billion uh, number, does he have any choice but to raise taxes in the future, do you think? Look, there's a third option that no one's talking about here. Um, governments will say they either you know, have to raise taxes or, or cut essential programs. The reality is that they could just cut the wasteful spending. So when we consider part of the announcement today was that the uh, government is spending $4 billion for municipalities and transit agencies. Well, if you look at Toronto, for example, which is uh, you know the biggest municipality in Ontario, John Tory is spending the same amount, about $4 billion on a single floating park vanity project. He's calling it Rail Deck Park. It's going in on the west side of Union Station. That's $4 billion. So why is Doug Ford giving $4 billion to municipalities when they're wasting money? He's also giving billions to transit agencies. Well, the TTC is exploring offering free Wi-Fi on streetcars right now and buses. Is this really a priority when, uh, you know, maybe tax relief would help kickstart the economy instead? And look, Hamilton right now is in the process of bidding on the Commonwealth Games, which in the past has cost municipalities billions. So from our perspective, we don't need to raise taxes. We don't need to slash essential programs, but let's just cut the fat. There's a lot of waste um, happening at both the provincial level. Look, they just gave out a raise government-wide while 2.2 million Ontarians lost their jobs or had hours significantly reduced during COVID-19. Um, the government gave out uh, government-wide raises that cost taxpayers $720 million, not just this year, but for the next two years as well. So government excessive spending, it's just wasteful, and they need to cut that um, instead of raising taxes on struggling taxpayers. All right, Jasmine Moulton, Ontario Director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Jasmine, thanks for the sobering statistics uh, and the time as always. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jeff.